we get started. Let's get started. Alrighty then, let's just dive right in then. We are on episode 16. I'd like to welcome everyone who's joining us for, if you're following along diligently, the 17th time you're listening to our voices. Um, we are covering episode 16 of the series, which is titled In Sickness Unto Death and dot 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 or splitting of the breast i'm your host nick and with me as always the zealous allison zealous huh i like it that's me hi everyone (laughs) that's that's always the hardest part of my notes (laughs) finding a good word i know i definitely contemplated during the week and then i usually have two or three that i choose from and that's where we get dictionary and thethoris.com are my best friends <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good resource for anything for any reason but yes you're right it is the most research i think <laughs> the most stressful research all right. Well, we are continuing our plummet down the roller coaster of death that is the latter half of the show. Um, and just to get us started off, we are in Misato's apartment. Asuka is about to take a bath. Misato and uh, Shinji are kind of just hanging out, but apparently. I think it's implied that Shinji drew the bathwater for Asuka, and he apparently made it much too hot. I mean, this girl, she just complains about everything. Um, one thing I did want to mention um, from the jump here, and I don't know if, if you have any info on this, but does the animation look a little bit different, like a little bit more intricate to you in this? Is it like the same artist that's doing it? Because didn't it look, I don't know, for some reason it just had a different feel to me in this episode, and I wasn't sure if I was the only one or if that was Throughout just... the whole episode or just... Well, especially in this beginning part here, um, some of the facial expressions that are made and stuff, I just kind of thought was more than what we'd seen before. So I just wasn't sure if it was that or something different about the animation. But it, I'd it was have one to thing that... double check. But as far as I'm aware, the animation is usually done by the same people other than that one episode that um, had Studio um, Ghibli work on. But in terms of the different animation, it might just be like them putting more or less effort into certain scenes yeah it's possible just it just had a different feel to me and i don't know i didn't know if i was the only one or (laughs) or what so you know feel free to reach out to us if you felt the same way but i just it just and i love these episodes that open up with the 80s sitcom music it's just it's one of my favorite things because you know uh, a nice little happy family scene is going to come up and that song it's um it's labeled misato's theme is the name of it (laughs) So but no wonder I like it so much. Exactly. Um, one thing that, I mean, I don't know, just to, you know, pick your brains is that I think compared to America or uh, Germany, um, Japanese, I think they tend to take their baths um, a lot hot, hotter than we do. And so that might be one reason why Asuka is not favoring the temperature. But yeah, it could be a cultural thing for sure. Yeah. Or he just wants to burn her a little ass. Although I don't does. know. Or I don't know why you wouldn't want it want to make it because she just complains so much. I wouldn't want to listen to her bitch. So I would try to do the best I could to like make it perfect for her. But I don't think anything right at this point. Or maybe he hasn't taken into account like her differences in preference. 
And so you just like drew it like you normally would and didn't account for the fact that, you know, she's not um, from Japan. That temperature is a very important thing to some people. So, you know, <laughs> it could it could make or break your evening. Yeah, I, I believe That's for it. sure. Nothing's worse than getting in a hot a bath that you've fully drawn and is the incorrect temperature. It's got to be a complete bummer. After all, it is the washing machine of life. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, so they get in a little kerfuffle here. Um, and Asuka points out that he is he always says sorry. Um, and she's absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, she is. He's always apologizing. It's just his go-to. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that stems from his need for approval and people pleasing. Uh, that's why he apologizes for everything he feels like someone is either offended by or took the wrong way or even just had any reaction at all. That's just always his first response. Yeah, and she goes on. She and she's done picking on Shinji. She moves on to Misato, saying that you know she's gonna. Stop trying to spread her happiness because Asuka believes that, you know, there's a thing going on between Kaji and Misato. And, you know, she vehemently denies this only to be, um, you know, thwarted by the answering machine. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Kind of not saved by the bell in this particular situation. Uh, Yeah. Red Red seems pissed at Miss M a little bit. You know, I mean, as if you'll recall, I believe it was the last episode where, um, you know, she smelled that perfume or whatever. So she kind of put two and two together and and she's got a thing for ponytail. Nobody knows why, but um, she does. And so she's 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 probably or she's creating a relationship there just to kind of prepare herself and to have something to be pissed off at Miss M for. Yeah. So right off the bat in this first scene, um, Asuka doesn't seem to be having a very good time. And it, I think this is the uh, the point at which things kind of start to go a little downhill for her, um, especially following the next scene while they're um, doing their harmonics testing. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we talk about the test itself, I love how um, uh, the one gentleman, uh, his name is escaping me right now, uh, he says that, Misato looks tired, and she's like, "Oh, it's personal stuff." <laughs> Risco's like, "Kaji stuff." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like went right there. No, I know. no beating around the bush. Just uh, right there. I know. It's so good. Yeah. But we find out that Shinji has um, beaten Asuka, and now holds the highest sync rate out of the three of them. So. I mean, as we've talked before, Asuka's kind of sense of self depends on her being uh, the absolute best, being number one. And as of this moment, she is no longer number one. That, and I, and I also think too that she feels like her confidence and her assertiveness and her practice has gotten her to this point and that her sync rate is high, that her skill level is high because she's put hard work into it and she's trained for it. And here's Shinji, this kid that's constantly apologizing. That's always like pussyfooting around things. And I don't know. And what should I do? And why do you do it? He's very unsure of himself. So it's gotta be a double gut punch to her in that respect too, that 
he has now surpassed her skill wise, even though he doesn't have the confidence she has. And that's got to be really frustrating to her. And I think that's part of the reason why she's now going to pick on him for every little thing. And even though she, you know, she had before, I think it's just going to get that much worse. Yeah, and I mean, I, I agree totally. I, I think the problem is that Asuka, I mean, and understandably so, I think that's what most of the children do, but they treat the Ava as though it is a, like, a tool. And so as much as you practice using the, a tool, you know, like any any sort of tool or art, you know, you practice and you get better. But the harmonics testing isn't something that you just practice at and get better. It's a more state of mind, um, emotional in- thing. Yeah, more intuitive type of yeah. test. And so the more she gets frustrated and, you know, loses a sense of herself and what she values and whatnot, I think the more it's going to hurt her sink rate. That makes sense. It's almost like she's at con- in conflict with herself. And herself is projected in the Ava. Yeah, because it's. I think it's still fairly clear that in terms of her uh, combat ability, she's still better than Shinji. Um, but this, you know, sync rate thing is important. And uh, I don't know. We'll, I guess we'll see if she has what it takes to get it back up. Yeah, I mean, get, you know, guts will take you so far, but then there's a certain inherent level of skill, you know, what makes, it's like the difference between athletes, a good athlete and a great athlete. You know, you can, the same two people can train, you know, the same amount of time, do the same amount of drills and whatnot, play the same games, but one is maybe just inherently more talented at it than another. And that that's reflected in all ways of life. And I think it's clear that it's happening in their Avas too. Yeah. And I know as she's talking to Ray in the locker room, she's, you know, giving off this vibe as though it's like almost like, uh, you know, scoffs at it, like joking, like, I can't believe he just blew by us like that, you know? And then she like goes on to say, like, you know, at least now we can like relax, like kind of making it seem as though it hasn't affected her as much as it has. But obviously, as soon as Ray leaves, she, you know, loses her cool. Yeah. Well, I also think, too, that. This this whole scene, Oscar is looking for Ray to validate her and say, "Yeah, you're right, girl. Like he got us, but at least we're together." And I kind of like how she adopted class rap into her little mean girl circle. And I think there's still a hope in her, or whatever that 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 her and Ray can can bond maybe over the fact that Shinji has beaten them both. But she gets literally nothing from her. She gets yeah. a farewell. She's not into the girl talk. She's just. Audi, and I think that's what frustrates Asuka too. Is that it? Just she's getting nothing from her, and I can I can say from another from another female, you're always looking for that like camaraderie or something in common, and when it's not there, it's very frustrating, especially when she's the only other person she's got outside of Shinji to that can relate to her. So it's got to be very frustrating for her. Yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> Hey, I like like what you're saying here. At the same time, I love Ray's. It's just oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> she's just like listens to that whole spiel and just like farewell, and just books it. <laughs> yeah, basically. But on, on on the positive side, I suppose like sometimes you just need to rant and vent things out and have somebody not say anything. And so I guess in a way it could be good. But I really think that Asuka's intent was to try to you know form some sort of bond with Ray. She's like, peace out. I am not having it. Yeah, Ray 
does not have time for those things. She's she is elsewhere. So uh, yeah, she's she's on a whole different level of things, and and I I, I think she knows more than we know she knows. <laughs> there's a lot of there's still a lot of unanswered questions with her. Where I think Red is her her personality is pretty straightforward. Yes. Um, we get Shinji on a bus for a quick moment. He's um, you know making a fist with his hand, um, which becomes. I think he's done it before. It becomes kind of a a theme with Shinji. He tends to do that a lot. I think when he's um, feeling good about himself, you know, he has this little bit of confidence that he's gotten for being number one. But I think it's pretty obvious that it is super fragile. I mean, these little kids at the front of the bus, you know, they look at him and laugh. We don't know that they're laughing at him. They're just children. But, I, you know, even so, Shinji kind of takes it as though they are laughing at him and is immediately, you know, retracts back into his little shell. Yeah, it, it's kind of a, an, a unique scene because it, it shows his gaining of confidence, but how quickly it can be cut down again. And it's, I was wondering too, if when he looks at his hand, cause wasn't that like one of the first things like he had to do inside the Ava is like move his hand and like, so that it was, I, I don't know, for some reason that, that thought came to me like, and then when he made the fist and like, you know, when you do something good or what, you're like, yes, like that's what it seemed like to me. And, and, you know, I've done that plenty of times. I still do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, with no shame in my game um but uh, yeah like I, I think it was just it, like i said he was real high and then he was real low and and it only took and i think that the little kids doing that just shows that he's still his his ego is still pretty fragile and he still really is concerned about how other people view him oh yeah absolutely and i i totally feel you know and i i feel bad for him at the same time too Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Like, he can't even enjoy his, you know, yes moment without being ashamed of it. The moral of this scene is that little children ruin everything, no matter what it is. Um, I would, I, I would say certain children at certain times, 100% agree with that. Yep. Totally. And even as an adult, like if you're sitting on a, like, you know, somewhere and some kids like, you know, you're ugly or you're whatever, like, even though they're a little kid, it cuts you down. You're like, what a little dick. Yeah. Well, they have no reason to lie. They're just. Yeah, exactly. And they have no filter. So it's not like they're trying to, you know, spare your feelings. It's just like, you know, you have a big nose or you have a some sort of horrible thing and you just let the kids say it, you know, and the parent just laughs like, <laughs> it's like, no, your kid's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you're right kids can ruin this for sure <laughs> so shortly after that we get the emergence of our angel of the week um it pops up and they call it or uh, they identify it with pattern orange which if you didn't catch that it basically just means it's unidentified and there's no um at field present so that's why it's orange instead of blue at the moment mm-hmm um and we don't even have like a scene of them preparing or getting ready like we normally do we just show up with them already in their avas armed and ready to go yeah i I definitely did take note of that one of the other things that i wanted to point out too was and i don't know how many people will get this reference but when this first started you know when you see the car and like a shadow coming out of the bottom in the movie ghost (laughs) 
<laughs> with Patrick Swayze. Like that's how like you they take you to hell as these ghosts come out of nowhere and like grab you and like so that was the initial first thing I thought when I saw that. I'm like, oh, it's the ghost from ghosts. <laughs> crossover episode it obviously what yes so if you haven't seen it see the movie it's really good it's kind of cheesy but it's 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 worth a watch it's it's a classic r.i.p patrick swayze rip um so they're getting in position and normally oscar would be the one to you know take the lead here but she insists and goads Shinji into taking it instead and he somewhat reluctantly um accepts um but it's it's a shame because he he's done so well in the past in certain um battles and whatnot when he didn't have this confidence and it's just sad to see that this confidence kind of gives him a almost a negative perspective or like side to him that we haven't really seen before you know but yeah i think it's kind of like a a false confidence too um i think he was kind of baited into doing this right by oscar so it wasn't really genuine confidence it was more peer pressure really and i think he was still kind of flying high from getting praise you know for being the best and so he just kind of threw out his normal, rational, ask a million questions, Shinji, and just dive into it. And uh, from a lot of outside forces other than other than himself. And I think that is, is, a, is a factor in what happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm not blaming him. I, I blame Asuka because she's being a little turd. Um, yeah, she's, she's a real... And you can tell that that she's doing it deliberately to oh, just yeah. to kind of goat him into doing this. And, yeah, and it's she wants just... to see number one Shinji pop up there and get wrecked. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, just to just to take it back real quick, uh, something that I wanted to uh, ask. So Miss Um kind of runs into this situation late. Do we know why? Uh, like, I yes. Um, okay. So normally they have they have um, uh, stations and whatnot placed all around the city and further out, um, you know, all over Japan that are set up to detect angels as they come in. Um, and seeing as this one literally appeared um, within the city, it didn't come from above or below. It just appeared. Um, they didn't have any warning, so she wasn't she didn't have any time to prepare. Got it. Okay. I just wasn't sure if that if it was something that we should like dive more into or not. And they do make reference to that that gloves is gone, not on the premises. Yeah. So that leaves Misato in charge or that leaves Lab Coat in charge? Misato. Misato okay. is in charge of um basically everything while he's gone. While him and Fiutsuki um number two are gone. Which they seem to be gone pretty often lately. Uh- that's why I wanted to mention that because I pick and and again sometimes you really have to <laughs> stop mid episode and kind of think wait a minute you know and and I guess um for me it was like they they do make reference to this a lot like they could just because he's not in scenes we assume that he's not there but they seem to make a point of saying when he's gone and when he's not and I don't know if that's to shift responsibility and so that we know who's in charge but 
I don't know. Um, and then, so just to, to catch up to where we are now, Shinji does, when he's getting, you know, peer pressured into being the lead on this, he says, fighting is a man's job. I, I wrote that down. I wrote, what did, what did I wrote? Fighting is a man's job. And then I said, oh, Shinji, frowny face. <laughs> Seriously. And also, I, so at first I got heated. I'm like, a man's job. And then I thought, no, it really is. Because women don't need to fight. We use our minds. That's the difference. So... Guy. Yeah, so I thought, you know what, I'm not going to even get angry at that statement because leave the fighting to you guys. If you if you want to duke it out, duke it out. We'll find a more rational way to handle things. I know. He's just like, thumbs up, don't worry about it. I'm the man. And then he just goes and... Yep, yep. It's, it's If you guys don't, you should really follow some of the like Instagram and Facebook pages about this show. There's a lot of funny memes And now that you're in it. Although there are some spoilers, so maybe not, but there are once. <laughs> Once we're done, perhaps. Yes. Yeah, so keep that in mind. There's it, plenty of things even after the series to look forward to. Yes. Um, and so Shinji. Well, first of all, before Shinji does anything, um, Asuka's cord gets stuck on her umbilical cable. Which, by the way, it's called an umbilical cable. Which is, you know, ooh, think about that. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, but I like the scene where we see her switching the cables because we knew that the city had you know ordinance buildings and whatnot but it's cool being seeing them actually being used yeah i agree i agree and you know to think about about it you know the efficiency of a giant robot that has a relatively short cord doesn't seem very um practical but i guess they make things work I mean, trial and error, you know, um, it's probably a necessity, which is why it's there. And but its length might want to come into question on the next R&D meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should increase the length of cords and or have a battery pack. But, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is at this point. But it does definitely show her dexterity. It shows the quickness of her thinking and able to respond. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So before Shinji fires his pistol like a badass, I mean, who doesn't love Ava 1 just shooting a pistol like James Bond? But he does the same thing where he opens and closes his hand into a fist before he fires. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? So, I don't know. Just a pattern. Just pointing patterns out. Yep. We'll and maybe, yeah, and maybe he's, like, reassuring himself. Like, dude, you got this, you know? Yeah, this... I'm number one. I'm the yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting is a man's job. Yeah, and all. then the bullet goes right through it and he disappears. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, man. I know. Uh, and the shadow appears underneath him and he shoots it again and it, it looks as though the bullets go through it. Um, and he starts to sink in. And before you know it, uh, Unit 1 and Shinji are both gone. Gone. Ground, um, by this floating black and white funky looking angel that we got here which honestly I think this thing is so cool I mean first of all invisibility powers like it just b- gone and then the next thing you know boom scoops you back up like it's it's out of hand it's so cool the the black and white aesthetic of that ball and all the different shapes in it uh, love it I, I can honestly say this is probably my top three uh angels so we'll get into its name which is Lelial 
the 12th angel, and its symbol is night. So, obviously, with the shadows and... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, there's definitely a theme going on here. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really the only one... And it, like you mentioned, um, and that we brought up that Miss M was late to the party, and that's because it just appears and disappears extremely quickly. So, this is another kind of evolution of an angel that and, and a power that we haven't seen before. Um so do you have more on on the science of things yes but we'll we'll get into that a little little later i'll let reeds go lead us into that one (laughs) yeah just keep in mind 12th angel symbol is night so shinji and well g unit as you like to call them Mm -hmm. are now fully submerged in the shadow and every time you know ray shoots at the floating orb it just disappears and then the shadow appears underneath it and it sucks in whatever's um above it and at this point it's like multiple skyscrapers are just being plunged into darkness yep so you're wondering you know what the frick frack is this thing yeah and how is it doing what it's doing and where is it coming from? Yes. And Asuka, you know, climbing up and again, showing her agility. Yeah. Using her axe to climb up. She's She knows what she's doing. She sure does. Um, the cable that um, Unit 1 was using continues to get pulled into the shadow as well. So we know that they're going somewhere. Where to? That's that isn't that the question? But then they pull out the cable that is the question. later. <laughs> and um there's nothing at, at the end of it. So they were able to pull it back out at least, but not with unit one attached. Which where is unit one? Where is where is the black hole taking it? Right. Them. So we find out that if Shinji runs on like life support power that he has essentially 16 hours um, before he starts dying, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is not a lot of time. But. <laughs> no, and also <clears throat> it's it's kind of creepy to know exactly how long you have to survive. Like, you know, most of us kind of just are <laughs> rolling the dice. But when they're saying you got 16 hours, kid, like, you yeah, better think about what you're going to do. I mean, I suppose it's better than 15 hours, but still, you know, True. I think you give it a day or something. Right, at least 24 for the kid. Yeah, come on now. Um, so we find out that the shadow, the diameter of the shadow is about 600 meters, and I'll talk about um, that a little bit more in depth later. But we have this little conflict between um, Shinji and, or not Shinji, Ray and Asuka. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we don't really see Ray in a confrontational stance very much. But here she seems to have... Asuka seems to have struck a chord with her. Yeah, and I, and I think she shows empathy for the first time. And, it be, and I think it's because of Shinji. And we haven't seen her even engage in anything and now all of a sudden here she is kind of defending and that's very unique for her yeah um 
So I don't know if this is, uh, you know, a sign that Ray's humanity is evolving or that she, you know, does care and maybe she just isn't good at showing it, but it is character development at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also think, too, Asuka's, you know, rant that she goes on here, I think it's also her own guilt coming up. Like, she's kind of really the one that egged him on to get all in there and and thought that, yeah. that he would be able to do it, and he didn't. And so I, I'm sure that there's a lot of her guilty feeling in, in a lot of this ranting and raving and, you know, getting in Ray's face and stuff. I think that that she's she feels bad and she's lashing out. Yeah, I think she's she's just, you know, projecting her own feelings back onto Ray, her frustrations and her her guilt and whatnot. You know, she she blames Shinji, even though she's the one who encouraged him to go out there, and she's like somewhat having a slow meltdown. <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's tumbling. She's she's tumbling, and and she's getting more and more fragile because I think she's also had a connection. Uh, to Shinji. And, and another thing that they keep bringing up too is they keep asking each other and themselves internally, like, why do I pilot this thing? It seems to be a question that they ask each other pretty frequently. And we get the same, you know, answers, but the fact that the question is is being repeated might be something we want to pay attention to. I don't know what, what you think about yeah. that, but I just, they all have their reasons and they're all kind of different. And, you know, Ray's is a little bit more cryptic than, say, Asuka's or Shinji's, um, but, but they all seem to have a a very specific reason why they do it and none of them is the same uh they they don't project it the same they don't act it the same obviously it just shows the difference in human beings but they have a, a, the same job yeah and none of them are like uh because to save the world or because it's the right thing to do they're all uh you know like personal reasons right um but in the midst of asuka and ray going at it we get misato looking back out and kind of agreeing with Asuka and Ray and that he, you know, did, he did make a mistake just going out there, um, almost, almost blindly. Um, and she says, uh, you know, that's quote, I'll have to scold him when he gets back. Mm -hmm. And I like this line a lot because it doesn't sound like a commander talking about a soldier. It sounds like a mother getting her child back. Yeah, and, and actually Labco makes a reference to this too, I think. And, I, and again, I'm not sure of the exact wording that she uses, but she makes reference to Miss M acting that way, that you seem to be acting more like a maternal figure than his boss. And I, so, I, yeah, I noticed that, and that is true. And, and she hasn't talked about scolding Shinji before. She's just like, oh, I'm going to talk to, you know, kind of that bossy uh, commander suit she wears a lot of the time. But th this there's something deeper there, you can tell. Yeah, and it's not, I'll scold him if he gets back, it's when he gets back. When he gets back, right. Right. And do you think that's a conscious thing, or do you think she's trying to convince convince herself? No, I think that she is confident and determined. Okay. Like, nothing's going to stop her. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that she would be saying the same things if it were Asuka in there instead. <clears throat> But I Fair could enough. be wrong. Everybody's got their theories. We'd love to hear yours. Remember, you can always send them to fullimpactpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Yes, we would. And we will answer you as swiftly as possible. <laughs> 
and as promptly and in <laughs> the best the best prose we can best use. Poise. <laughs> yes. Um, so we get back in with Shinji. Um, he kind of like activates the plug so you can see everything around and there's just nothing but white it is completely empty he says that there's no radar or sonar that's returning this place is just massive mm-hmm. wherever he is the black hole sun the black hole sun <laughs> yes pretty sound garden fans out there and you know he's already been in there what uh like 12 hours he said something like yep. that yep he looks at his little fitbit watch in there yeah <laughs> <laughs> every every plug suit comes with a Fitbit, obviously. They were way ahead of their time yeah. on the Fitbits. <laughs> does does your plug suit have the Fitbit or the Apple Watch? Just curious. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, my Fitbit only counts my steps. It doesn't tell me how long I have to live. So I don't know if I want to upgrade to that version. I think I'll stick with my steps. Yeah. So we get a little bit more info on the angel here. Um, we get informed that the shadow itself is 680 meters in diameter and 3 nanometers thick. Um, and for everyone in the world who knows what that means, which is everyone except for anyone in America, pretty much, um, that is <laughs> the diameter is about 2,230 feet, and 3 nanometers is roughly 0.00. Zero 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 one one eight inches, or a billionth of a meter. So very, very, very thin. Yes, like pat beyond razor's edge thin, like inconceivably thin. And you know, when I was I was looking up uh, information on this angel, one of the things they said um, was that it's it's they don't even know that that a billionth of a centimeter really or a billionth of a meter even exists. Like it's kind of more of a concept than it is a physical something you can measure. But that that was just my little Bill Nye so, addition. Yeah. So Ritsuko goes on to try and explain this thing. Um, she refers to it as a Dirac C, um, which is a real um, scientific term. Um, but in the show, they basically says that it's inverted. It's AT fields, so it's kind of pulling in instead of pushing out like we normally see it um and that she calls it a imaginary number space Hmm. um and so if everyone's ready to put on their their science cap and put on their goggles and their closed-toed shoes (laughs) i figured we'd talk about the drac c a little bit and i'll try to explain it as best i can without getting confusing so the Dirac C is a theoretical model of the vacuum as an infinite sea of particles within or with negative energy. Um, you know, I normally we think of a vacuum as the um, absence of particles, um, but in this model, at least the original one, it was postulated that it is a sea of particles with negative energy instead of positive. Um, and Negative energy is a concept used to explain the nature of certain fields, um, fields like gravitational fields or various quantum fields, um, their effects, and even wormholes. Um, and in this theory that we're using, negative energy uh, would be needed in order to keep a wormhole open. Um, and, you know, Brisco mentioned that it might lead to another... Uh, like universe or dimension and so that would fit with this um 
little concept here of it being uh, a, a wormhole, possibly. Um, this model, it was created by British physicist Paul Dirac in 1930, and it's used to explain the anomalous negative energy quantum states predicted by the Dirac equation for relativistic electrons. And if you want to know what relativistic electrons are, it's basically just electrons traveling near the speed of light, which is very fast. Incredibly so, fast. With that in mind, if we assume that our Dirac C is in three dimensions, which it has to be because if it weren't, um, well, it is because they give us the dimensions um, because diameter counts for length and width. So we do have the all three dimensions of our little Dirac C here. Um, but even so, because it's so thin, you know, it's those three nanometers um, thick, uh, the volume of the whole thing would only be about one cubic millimeter, which is incredibly, incredibly small. So if it were just a regular vacuum, that wouldn't be, it wouldn't have enough room to hold the entire Ava in it, which further supports the idea that it is in fact a wormhole to another universe or another place, and which would be where we see um, Shinji. And that's what, you know, Ritsuko's, that's the conclusion that Ritsuko comes to. So, you know, she's a smart lad, smart girl. She knows what she's talking about. She does. She's got that lab coat. She earned it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And if you're still really confused, just basically think of that shadow as a pocket dimension that's really hard to get away from. A black hole sun, if you will. Oh um, you're just not letting <laughs> that die. <laughs> Because it's, it's, it encompasses everything that this angel is, I feel like. Like, it's it's circular like the sun. That's how it, it presents itself. It essentially is kind of a black hole to the people that can't see what's where he is. They know he exists somewhere, but they don't know where. And so, I mean, yeah, I'll beat it to death because it kind of fits. And I love that tune. And <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's it's It's... Somehow, it's somewhat hard to wrap your brain around these kind of things, but that's what shows like this are supposed to do is make you think about ourselves and what's beyond us and what's beyond out there and what, I mean, who knows? Uh, and I think it's good to explore, and I think this show definitely does that. Yeah, so hopefully we didn't get too muddled there. Tried my best. Um, all that information is from Wikipedia and uh, Ava Geeks and the um, Essential Evangelion Chronicle Side B. If you want to do a little bit of research yourself, we'd love to hear from you if you know more than us, which probably isn't that hard to do. I don't know. That was a very detailed description. I'm impressed and educated. So cheers to that. All right. Well, that is the full impact <laughs> Promise, consider that stone now unturned or no flip. turned. <laughs> flip that shit. <laughs> Instead of move that bus, <laughs> flip, flip that, that shit. <laughs> TM. <laughs> so, Ritsuko's plan, and I guess the UN's plan. Um, well, actually, if we want to rewind a little bit, Shinji mentions that it smells like blood in there as his um, LCL fluid begins to kind of become tainted and stale. He says it smells like blood, which we've mentioned before. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Grody. I guess is not a good smell. Straight up not having a good time. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, their plan is to drop their entire stash of N2 mines, which if you remember, the N2 mines are basically their 
ace in the hole in terms of military weaponry. It was used against Third Angel in Episode 1. Um, I think they used a bunch of them against the, like, Eye Angel that came from the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they used them against the Angel that split into two as well, I think. It's their, their strongest thing that they got, and it usually doesn't work. But anyways, they're going to drop all 992 of those, and using Unit 0 and 2... With their AT fields out, they're essentially going to try and disrupt the circuit that the um, Angel makes with its DRXZ just for like the tiniest of fractions of a second and blow it sky high. Yeah, and I think one of the things about this mission, which is similar to most of the missions we've seen with Angels, is that they have a very tiny, teeny window of opportunity to pull these things off. Like, I believe she refers to they have like a millisecond to make this happen. So it's never like, okay, we got a plan and we got a plan B. It's like, no, this is our only shot and we have basically no chance of it happening, but it's going to happen. Yeah, but I mean, that's all they got. I think it's watching the show, it's like especially since they always succeed at least so far that we kind of forget that if they fail to kill even one of the angels like their whole world is gone everyone dies everyone dies yeah lights out yeah they're not coming back from uh another impact yeah this next one will be the last one so ritsuko is being ritsuko here and basically tells Misato that Unit 1 recovery is priority and that the pilot is immaterial. And I wrote in response to that, slap that bitch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. uh, First of all, I think a good slap is just amazing. Um, And in this show, we seem to be pretty slap happy, but this was a warranted slap. I mean, she essentially said, we don't give a shit about Shinji, we just want to save the machine. And I think... As we covered, you know, in this previous in this episode that, you know, she sees herself as more of a mother figure to him now. So she's telling her that I'm not going to get your kid, but I will get the machine he was. It's like, that's bullshit. And it warranted a slap. And she really nailed her, which was great. Oh, yeah. Um, And then, you know, Ritsuko wasn't takes up command from her following that. Um, And, you know, this is it's. It's unfortunate because you know we we know that Ritsuko and Misato are so close, and seeing this this rift um, be created between them because of Shinji, you know, I wonder if it's going to have repercussions uh, down the line. Well, and I also think aside from Shinji, I think that they're that uh, Miss M knows that she's hiding something from her, you know, based on what Ponytail's revealed to her, and she's she's getting the sense that she's not being told the whole story. So her friend is is keeping things from her, and she really feels it now. And so I think this is like really the slap that broke the camel's back, if you will, because she just that that was it for her. She's you're lying to me. Something's going on. What's going on? Like that's that's not the right decision to make, and she's questioning it. So I. I think in addition to her feelings for Shinji, her her feelings of being kind of betrayed by her friend are starting to come to the surface. Yeah, and you know, I think she knows that Ritsuko knows more than she does, especially, you know, after we saw what um, Kaji called Adam in basically the basement of Nerve. You know, she's beginning to ask more questions about the very organization that she works for. You know, she wants to know what are the Avas, why is Unit 1 special, and, you know, she needs to get her answers. 
and yeah, she's not she's, gonna give them. Right, and she's putting things together, and it, it's it's not going the way that Lab Coat wants it to, and you know she's she's putting her in her place, and and things are not gonna go well from here on out. It doesn't look like. <laughs> but yeah, she's questioning all these authorities. She's wondering what's going on. Yeah, and then Lab Coat just takes it over, and and she's pretty pissed. Yeah. So Rightfully now. So. I think this is, other than Ray's beat poetry and Shinji's little um, interaction with spooky looking Ray in Unit Zero that one time, this is our first kind of trip that we have in the show. I call, I'd like to call this segment straight tripping. Yeah. Uh, there are <laughs> going to be more of these. This is um, essentially what makes part of what makes the show at times very difficult to understand mm-hmm. so we're gonna try our best here and explain yeah so uh, during straight trip and we really are and i, I do want to mention too that the previous what when we the last time we saw shinji and his plug and he, he was kind of like wigging out and i don't blame him i mean just just kind of think take a second and think about like his environment right now he's in this like stinking liquid you know he's got his Fitbit talent, like counting down the seconds of his life and he can't hear anything. He can't see anything. It's just darkness. And so, yeah, like I can understand why, you know, you might start tripping out because <laughs> it's a very stressful environment for him to be in. So just kind of put yourself there. At least I did, you know, thinking like this kid's got to be terrified and, and stuck in that tiny little space. Awful. Yeah. So. We get on, we find Shinji on this little train car, which will appear again. It's somewhat iconic to the show. Um, and across from him is a younger Shinji with a little uh, striped shirt on. Um, you know, she asks who's there because he knows that someone's there with him. And the other person responds, Shinji Akari. You know, and that's where he gets confused, you know, saying that, you know, that's me. And the person with whom he's talking to goes on to explain that essentially there's two different versions of ourselves inside of all of us. Um, But beyond that, there's, you know, versions of us in every other person as well. You know, how we perceive um, other people. And that, you know, even though they're all different, they're all real versions. I don't think that's too um, complicated so far, right? No, I'm, I'm following you so far, meaning just, you know, the, the physical world, the physical yeah. way you're perceived as a human. Yeah. Yeah. And there's two versions within ourselves. There's, you know, the person that we show to the world and there's the person that we only, you know, show to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes on to say that, you know, there's the you inside Ray, there's the you in Misato, there's the re- you in Asuka and in Gendo, you know, and in everybody. Um, and basically, little baby Shinji here says that he's afraid of the Shinji inside others. He's afraid of what others think of him. Um, and, you know, he basically, you know, he needs other people to like him. He needs praise from others. He needs validation from others because he can't give it to himself. 
Um, and I and I also well go ahead. No, keep going. You got this. Um, I think too that <clears throat> it's also his abandonment issues. Really, he doesn't. He's he was left as we've seen in a couple flashbacks now. You know, uh, gloves just like took off on him, and so he's never really felt that validation from any outside person. So now he's just incessantly seeking it in anyone, and not challenging anyone. Always apologizing for things. So his lack of validation as a kid, I think, has really shaped who his he's becoming. And so that's that's why he needs that. Yeah. You know, and he I think he says something about like I'm afraid that others will hate me or something similar to that. And the rebuttal here is like, um, no, you're afraid of getting hurt. Mm. Which is a very different thing. Yes. Um you know and if you if you block yourself off from everyone, if you build a wall, you know, you you'll never get hurt, but you'll never do anything either. Right. You won't experience the other side of that coin. So you, you, you think that you're doing the right thing by protecting yourself, but really you're hindering yourself by not allowing other things. in. I, I, I want to say too, that, um, I think this idea of these two selves is really important. And I referenced this before, but I think it's important to reiterate that, you know, yeah, we exist in the physical world and we see, you know, physical people, but when they're not physically here, I think we have to think of them as, you know, everybody, even though you don't see them all the time, they're, they're existing in the world somewhere, or wherever you think you know, your loved ones are, um, they're existing. And so you just have to remember that experience of them and that essence of them. And I think that's kind of what they're getting at in this that you know everybody has an essence of you within them because that's what they've perceived of you and whether they're physically here or physically not i think that that's where that connection is so i just wanted to mention that too because we've, we've talked about that in previous episodes yeah and so little shinji asks why regular shinji is afraid of getting hurt um you know who's the blame for that and um shinji at first blames Gendo, his dad, for abandoning him, but then he switches it very quickly and says it's his fault instead. And then we get a little clip of Asuka basically yelling at him for always putting the blame on himself for things. Mm-hmm. This is really not his fault. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's, it's not his fault the way his life was shaped and it, now he's he's realizing that you know a norm that he thought something that he thought was normal is now not normal he's being challenged and he's he's on the fence i think yeah and you know he's has this he's so accustomed to thinking that he can't do anything right and but then you know as we see you know gendo gives him this little teeny tiny bit this little speck of attention and praise and Shinji just hold on to it for dear life. Absolutely. Because it's all he's got. And, I, I, you know, it goes without saying that uh, our parents, whether they know it or not, <laughs> shape everything about who we are initially. I mean, obviously, as you grow and you become an adult and have experiences, things change. But, you know, certain behaviors and certain inherent things and, and self-esteem issues, a lot of that stems from from childhood. And, and I think that Shinji's going back and trying to figure out, you know, why do I feel this way, maybe? You know, and I think this little, like, emotional trip out is is kind of opening his eyes to some things that he hadn't thought about before yeah 
Yeah. So, you know, Shinji's relationship with his father obviously is complicated. He he's even he mentions that he says that you know he he thinks he hates him, but he's not so sure anymore. Um, you know, I think it's his entire sense of self hangs on getting you know this praise from his dad and since he got that little teeny tiny bit of it that's just what he hangs on to even though he at shinji at the same time hates his dad um and little baby striped shirt shinji here points calls him out for it and says you're going to keep nursing that tiny bit of happiness for the rest of your life and shinji replies saying if i believe in those words i can go on living and he, re- baby Chinji in this striped shirt knows he's fucking quick with it here. <laughs> <laughs> baby Shinji's like a baby Buddha. Yeah, he's like you're just you're just deluding yourself. You're lying to yourself, you know. And Shinji, you know, says you know that's what everybody does. Everybody, you know, you holds on to these small things to keep them going. Um and. He goes on to say that the world is full of too many painful things for me to live in it. Which is just sad. It, 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 is, it is sad. And I, but also I think it goes back to what he's seen around him. He has no close relationships. He has no family. Um, it, he's, it's starting to grow. And I think that's why he's starting to think this way. And I think part of his hatred for gloves, which you can't really blame him, but the hatred is the wall. The hatred is the way that he keeps things at a distance. If he can stay mad at him for what he's done, then he can't get close enough to him to, for him to hurt him again. So it goes back to that kind of theme too, that that anger is always really just sadness turned outward. Like it's, it's your anger comes from something and, and nine times out of 10, it's because you're sad or upset about something. And I think that in this case, he's, he's that wall of anger is what he's built so that he doesn't need his father's approval. But that other side of the coin says, absolutely you do. So any little nugget he gets, he's going to hold on to. Yeah, and I can't believe I skipped this, but Baby Shinji throws up this quote that I really love. He says, believe in yourself for who you are, otherwise you won't be able to go on. And Amen. I like that a lot. I like it a whole lot. I think it's basically saying, you know, obviously you should always be kind to everyone and, you know, help everyone where you can and just be a, a genuine good person. But I don't think it should be understated that you should live for yourself and not for others amen i i 100 agree because it's never it's never a good idea <laughs> and and i i think too that that sometimes comes with um life experience and age uh because especially when you're this age you are very concerned about outside influences but when it comes right down to it, it doesn't, none of it means a shit unless you care about yourself and do things because you want to do them. The rest of it doesn't really matter in the long run. Yeah. And, you know, if anyone's seen the movie Scott Pilgrim, congratulations. If you haven't, you're missing out. But it makes me think of a scene in it where basically the character gets a power for admitting that he loves someone. He, like, gets, like, an upgrade. Um, which is fantastic. But then he ends up fighting the same thing again, but instead of doing it for love, he does it for himself, and he gets an even bigger upgrade, and it's like the power of self-respect. 
and I like that because you know it's it shows that you know being able to fight for someone you love is important and good, but fighting for yourself is even better. Word. Couldn't so, have said it better myself. Go watch Scott Pilgrim. It's on Netflix. <laughs> right after Ghost. Right after Ghost. Which is yeah. also on Netflix. <laughs> so, um, Young Shinji points out that regular Shinji has a tendency to live off the violation of others, and he hides when it gets hurt, and he covers his ears, he um, you know, closes his eyes, and even as baby Shinji's you know, saying this to him, he he puts his head down he covers his ears and he's like i don't want to hear this you know he literally is running and hiding away as baby chinji is calling him out for running away and hiding yeah baby chinji's basically calling him a punk he's like you're not manning up you're just closing off you're just putting your burying your head in the sand that doesn't solve anything yeah and you know baby chinji he's got a lot of insight (laughs) yeah he does and you know he says he says people can't handpick a series of pleasant events to make up their lives, and Shinji's like, why not? Everybody, so many people do that. Why can't I do that? Why can't I just do this one well, thing over I mean, and over again? Well, I and I get where he's coming from, but at the same time, like I think he's only been experiencing things that he doesn't want to relive. Like there are times in our lives that we do reminisce about, and that were the good old days, and you know things like that. Like and and I think if you have a bank that has more good things than bad things, then you would feel differently about that. If that makes sense. Yeah, I just think that his bank is full of. Uh, sad memories and so he's got nothing nothing good to tap into and so that's what they're getting at is like you can't you know you got to make your own happiness and you can't just wait around and if it doesn't go your way just you know throw a fit and put your hands over your ears so yeah i feel like he's been he's been given a box of of records and all of them are broken except for one so he just keeps replaying that one unbroken record um, instead of going out and trying to find new ones. Mm-hmm. It's a very good analogy. Um, but after that, we get a little little intermission here between our, you know, our mushroom trip um, to get an update <laughs> on his health. Um, Shinji's probably going to die soon. Um, and Ritsuko kind of tries and speeds up the rate at which they're doing things speeds up the schedule. Do you think that her interaction with Misato kind of made her have a change of heart a little bit? Or no? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I think she's just doing it to get it over with. Um, I don't think the plan has changed. It doesn't seem to me that Labco, although I'm sure there are emotions in there, I don't think she's going to sway from the grand scheme of things over emotions. I feel like she has a, that it's clear that she's privy to more information than both we know and Miss M knows. So I, I don't think she has any change of heart. I think she may consider it in her mind and, you know, maybe say, think twice, but I don't think it's going to affect her decision in the long run. All right. Well, if that's what you think, I don't know. 
Because I, I mean, I mean, I thought she moved. She didn't have to move up the schedule. She could. She's not like she's doing anything. She's just hanging out, basically. Everyone else is doing the work. But I thought maybe she was trying a, just a little bit harder to try and save him than before. But maybe. Not. Maybe. maybe. I. Uh... I don't. I don't know with lab coat. You know, there are a lot of questions there. I don't like anybody trying to pull a fast one on Miss M. So she's starting to really be questionable. So maybe that's clouding my judgment. Maybe. Um, but we get back into the dunk tank here with our trip uh, to relive some of Shinji's past, um, and we get straight right off tripping <laughs> part two. Yeah. <laughs> So we start right off with um, basically the moment where Shinji and Gendo kind of split from each other. And Shinji asks if he's unwanted, um, you know, saying that, you know, Gendo abandoned him. But young Shinji points out that it was actually Shinji that ran away. Mm hmm. So. Calling him out like a punk. Yeah. Maybe Shinji. And then we get a bunch of flashes of newspapers and uh, pictures and stuff, um, basically revealing allegations or insinuations that uh, Gendo um, was under suspicion for killing his own wife, which would be Shinji's mother. What? What? Yeah. That's the first time we've heard of that. Yeah. And I mean, knowing Gendo, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, let's face it, he seems to not have a whole lot of empathy for anyone in his family. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and as things kind of start to get more and more dire, you know, he starts saying, you know, he doesn't want to be alone. Or no, he doesn't want to be alive. Sorry, bad handwriting over here. <laughs> or no, is it alone? My God, my handwriting. Alone. Literal chicken scratch. He wants to be alone. That makes more sense. I'm like, I thought this was like kind of a good thing. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Alive and alone, alone are two totally different things. So yeah, oh, we yeah. gotta be clear. He definitely said alone. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just wrote that word so quick. It could be read either way, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It, I also want to flash back to like the dad montage that happened there. Um, the music that's playing, and since we're on, you know, movies that you should see, uh, it reminds me of the movie Uncle Buck when he's driving them to school and the music that's playing when they show his hoopty on the road. Um, excellent movie if you haven't seen it. I don't know why, but go see it. And that music, that whole father montage, and it was kind of weird because it was sad, but it was like this kind of sort of upbeat, like, beat music. And I, I don't know, just just something to keep a lookout for. <laughs> Another recommendation for movies. Yeah, add, add that to the movie queue. That's right. <laughs> um, but as he kind of starts to fade out, you know, he says he's he's tired. He's tired of of everything, essentially. And it seemingly just as he's about to die, <laughs> uh, this like apparition in the shape of his mother appears. What? Yep. <laughs> what? Um, and it, it caresses his face, um, and it kind of, like, cradles him and, like, lifts him up. And, you know, he calls it out. He says, you know, mother, you know, very clearly recognizes, um, you know, who it is. Um, and then we get this, like, who it very, is. Who it is, yeah. Um, so, basically, <laughs> we get this image of his mother saving him. And then we get another one, um... 
of the shadow of his mother. Um, very spooky looking, by the way. Um, and basically asking, oh, you'll be okay. And it's baby Shinji now reaching out his arms towards him, towards her. And what does he have in his hands? But a little red ball. And I think it's at this point that we're supposed to make the jump to the conclusion that little Shinji this whole time was in fact the angel and that's who Shinji has been having this interaction with and that Whoa. is his core that he's holding in his hands right there did you hear that? that was my mind exploding <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, one could infer that and also yeah because it's been a point in all of the angels that just about all the angels that we've seen with the exception of the computer one in this one so far but um there is a core energy in all of these things and so on this little straight trip and he unlocks a big door here oh yeah so we clearly now have you know we don't really know what it means we don't know the details but there seems to be some connection between shinji his mom ava one and this angel now but we don't really know the specifics of that we don't we don't but this is this is a lot of things happening at once you know and all in at one time the angel the mother all of this is just happening really quickly uh, and so we are straight tripping <laughs> yes and then we get one of the most badass scenes in the series um basically i i, I would agree with that um Basically, Ava-1 is able to create enough energy to disrupt the circuit, thus giving it an opportunity to fuck this thing up and emerge from it from a bloody explosion death chasm thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, he he legit rips this thing from the inside out. And, you know, we, we see the red start to happen. So we, and usually that's an indication of something relatively violent. Um, yeah, and then you just have this explosion from just from within and blood just pouring out of this thing. This is a really dope scene, really dope. Like just the way that everything is pouring out of it and and how everybody's just like mesmerized by what's happening um, I, I, without any plan, without any help, just him emerging from this thing like a badass is, is a G unit. G-Unit. Yeah, this thing, and everybody is like, what the fuck is going on? Yes, yes, like, I just can't believe what they're seeing. Yeah, and, you know, even Ritsuko, she says, you know, what kind of monster did we replicate? Yeah, and Asuka, yeah, uh, replicate, right, and Asuka saying, you know, Jesus, am I capable of doing that? Like, that's what I'm inside of? That's kind of scary. Maybe if you weren't such a little shit, you'd be capable. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Maybe if you stopped bitching and started performing. (laughs) And then Misato says, I know damn well that the Avas aren't simply copies of the first angel, which the first angel is Adam. So... And again, bombs, then, bombs and are then, dropping. 
yeah, bombs away here in more ways than one. But yeah, and, and Miss M is getting more and more irritated by the fact that she's realizing that, that something's going down that she did not know about and she is pissed. And these scenes are just so cool with him emerging out of the, the Ava or the angel and all the raining down blood, if you will. And you can just see his outline. It's just, it's so yeah, cool. Yeah, especially when he drops from the ball down to the ground and like the piece of the yeah. ground get jutted up and you know it's just like his, the face of Ava one just mm, pristine immaculate <laughs> immaculate uh, and then we end with Misato asking what's Nerf's plan after defeating the angels or what are they going to do with the Avas afterwards I don't know and how are we going to know when we finally defeat them that's true. Well, they have been numbering them. So. True. And so is there a finite number of these that you have to get rid of in order to succeed? Like, I don't know what the real... Like, it seems like they just keep coming and coming and coming. So what? what's the end game, you know? I guess that is the question. That has so been the question all along. Out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and although, you know, after that we cut the black, um, we'd love to hear what you think about, you know, what Nerve's going to do with the Avas after the Angels and, you know, what are the Avas? What does it have to do with Shinji's mom? Did Gendo kill Shinji's mom? So much to write about. I feel like I'm a tabloid. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking these could all be on the Inquirer, every single one of them. (laughs) TMZ is ready to go. (laughs) Um, They're all over it. Yes. So as um, Allison mentioned before, you can feel free to um, email us at fullimpactpodcast at gmail.com. But before we end, although this episode didn't actually have um, a particular reference to religion, which is surprising given the history of the show from what we've seen, um, I thought it would be fun to have a little history Dewey tour um, regarding Christian uh, faith and symbolism in the context of Japan, which is probably f- a foreign concept to um, a lot of people around the world. And I believe you have a little bit on that. Is that right there, Allison? That is correct there, Nick. I did do a little bit of a uh, dive into this. Now, I will, full disclosure, uh, being that I grew up uh you know, in a Catholic environment, uh, this sort of stuff would have been absolutely out of the question to talk about. Um, But there are theories about everything. And, you know, uh, one of the things Nick mentioned, too, was that it is it's a very small uh, group of people that believe in Christianity in Japan. It's certainly not uh, their primary religion. So that's why this integration into it is is pretty interesting. So one of the theories uh, that was created by this Sawagachi family um, was that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. What? (laughs) You heard me correctly. He did not die on the cross. In fact, it was his brother, his lookalike brother, uh, Isukiri, who took his place. So uh, the thought is, is that so in, in the Bible, there is a gap in time in describing Jesus's upbringing. I believe like from the ages of 12 to like 21 ish, um, there's just no documentation of what he's doing. So this theory uh, 
suggests that he was over in Japan and um, he was collecting all of this information and then uh, had to come back and was trying to teach it to everyone. But then he was under threat of heresy and his brother took the rap for him, which this poor guy, he's I've never even heard of him. And he took a serious bullet, literally. Um, So. They say that because he sacrificed, the brother sacrificed himself, um, Jesus, by way of Siberia, uh, ended up in the Mutsu province, uh, which is where he's thought to have lived out his life, had his, had a family, and was in turn buried. Uh, so there are a lot of underground Japanese uh, that follow this particular story of Jesus, and um, there is a place where you can go to uh, worship, and they have a lot of different landmarks and things. Again, all theories, uh, but these people really believe this particular section of Christianity. Uh, this is what they believe. So... Whatever your belief is, if it gets you through the day, have at it, <laughs> I guess is the moral of the story. But yeah, that's just a little background on on that theory. So you're telling me that there's a chance that if I go and visit Japan, I can not only go to the Pokemon Center, I can also visit the grave of Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely can. Uh, it's called Kirisito Nansato, uh, translated into Christ's hometown. So if you're looking it up on a map, that's where you can find it. Um, a second little bit of information is that uh, the Japanese are mostly Buddhist or Shinjoists, and uh, in a nation of 127.8 million only one percent identify themselves as christian so if that puts that into perspective for you it's a very very small segment of christianity in japan but this is the story that is the story that perpetuated that um so yeah if, if you're looking for jesus's hometown while you're in japan now you know that's one hell of a vacation, what can I say? <laughs> Absolutely. There's a lot of sightseeing to be had there, for sure. Uh, yeah, so uh, for all you Catholics out there whose minds just got absolutely blown, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. It's 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 That's, again, the beauty of this show is that you can dive into a lot of different things and themes, and there's a lot of overlapping concepts, which makes it a very complex show and something that we really enjoy discussing I'm I'm hope you're happy listening yeah I hope that uh, everyone will come back uh, next week for what episode 17 is that right yes episode 17 and we normally have a litany of different titles for this but this time we only have one uh, so episode 17 is the fourth child say what so (laughs) yes um so yeah so uh we want to as always thank all of our listeners um for their support their subscriptions their listening um it always helps to subscribe to us rate us review us on whatever platform you listen to us we're super happy especially uh, itunes sorry yeah Please leave a review on iTunes. It helps us be seen so much better. It does. It does. A little five star and put a smiley face or something. (laughs) Something elusive. Yeah, something that makes us think or respond back with another elusive thing. Nobody knows. Um, But we we really do appreciate your listenership and we hope you enjoy the show and you tune in next week when we cover episode 17, The Fourth Child. I am one of your hosts, Allison, and with me as always, the best pod partner 
on the planet. Ah, uh, I can bring a tear to my eye. With alliteration. <laughs> yes. Well, everyone, <laughs> until next time. Until next time.